This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 387. If you think you have a cap in your current position or or even a new position that you want, it says on that job description, you must have a bachelor's degree and you don't have one. I just want you to throw that out the window. You are in charge of your own earning ability. Most employees lack clarity about how their performance connects to the value they create for their company. There's a unique resource for employees, though, to earn more money while promoting their company's growth. Create a better future for yourself and your company starting today. Hi, I'm Jeff Brown, and this is the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth, which is now also a book called Read to Lead, the simple habit that expands your influence and boosts your career. You can find out more about that book, by the way, at readtoleadbook.com. You can even download the introduction and the first chapter for free. That's readtoleadbook.com. Each week here on the podcast, we sit down with another successful and inspiring author and chat about their latest book and their unique insights on topics like personal and professional development, leadership, productivity, career, business, marketing, sales, and entrepreneurship. Today, we're going to be sitting down with author Jill Young. She's written a book called The Earning Advantage, Eight Tools You Need to Get Paid the Money You Want. I'm going to ask Jill to share about how she defines selfish and why it's something you might want to implement on occasion, the myths related to this topic that she says you need to stop believing right away, evidence that your boss really does want to promote you, and much, much more. Well, if you've been listening to the show for the last couple of weeks, you've heard me talk about an app I've recently discovered called Readwise. You can find out more about it at readwise.io slash read to lead. And Readwise basically takes all your highlights from the books you've read, whether that's from your Kindle apps like Instapaper, Pocket, Medium, Twitter, email, iBooks, even notes added via text or via a photo taken of a physical book. All these highlights are compiled and served to you daily or as often as you like to help you better retain and comprehend what you're learning. Highlighting is great, but what's the point if you're never going to see any of those highlights again, right? Well, with Readwise, you're kind of liberating those highlights from all those other apps and bringing them into one place. Now, how often do we finish a book only to forget the key ideas a couple of weeks later? Quite often, right? We don't remember things by reading them just one time. And Readwise is designed to fix this using a scientific process called spaced repetition. They resurface your best highlights back to you at the right times and let you review them every day if you want with a daily email and, of course, with the app. Now, uh, just yesterday on social media, I saw a Facebook post from James with regard to Readwise. He says, whoa, game changer. Signed up for a free trial, connected it to my Amazon account, scanned every ebook I've read and pulled out highlighted passages and notes. Shout out to Jeff Brown for whose podcast, Read to Lead, I learned about this handy little tool. Jeff, I see why you like it. I think you'll like it too. I talked to Readwise and they've agreed to extend their 30-day free trial to 60 days just for Read to Lead listeners. All you have to do to try Readwise free for 60 days, not 30, is go to readwise.io slash read to lead. That's readwise.io slash read to lead. 
Jill Young is a certified EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System Implementer, speaker, and author who specializes in guiding business owners to form unified teams that create vision, experience traction, and produce value. Jill has implemented EOS, by the way, with over 80 companies, coaches, and entrepreneurs. Uh, She is the author of the Advantage series books that are designed to accelerate the mindset of entrepreneurs and their teams toward growth-oriented results. And we're going to be digging into one of those Advantage series books, this one called The Earning Advantage, Eight Tools You Need to Get Paid the Money You Want. Jill, excited to have you here. Well, thanks for having me on, Jeff. I'm really excited to chat about the book today. You know, you and I have chatted before, and I just love your approach to learning and leading. It's all through reading. So it's it's exciting for me to be an author and an avid reader to be on the podcast. So it's a treat for me. Thank you. Awesome. Well, being an avid reader is not a requirement to be on the show. Being an author is, but I'm excited to learn that you're also an avid reader. I always love to hear that. And I want to take a moment real quick to just say thanks to our mutual friend, Carrie Oberbronner, who's been on the show a few times uh, for Mm -hmm. making this introduction and making it possible for this to happen. So thank you, Carrie, if you're listening. Yes. Thank you, Carrie. Jill, right off the bat, I knew I was going to enjoy your book when I realized how uh, similarly we define uh, the word selfish. I was really uh, excited to see you outline it the way that you did. Why do you say that the company we work for, our family, our country, all need us to be selfish? Well, you know, I wrote the book in 2016. That's when the first edition was there. And, you know, as you write your books, you get, I hope, (laughs) that's what I'm shooting for is to get better and better and better. And this is one I've actually been challenged on. And I, I love that you and I get to talk about it right here is the word selfish has this negative connotation. And when I look back and decide or think to myself, why did I choose to use that word? I think I wanted to use it a little bit snarky. I wanted to shock people when I said, yes, you need to be selfish. Uh, to me, selfish, we we need to be, and if I had the chance to choose the word again, I might have chosen the word self-focused or self-oriented. Mm-hmm. I think maybe that's a better definition mm-hmm. once we get past the shock, right, to get people's <laughs> right, attention. Right. Because really what I see out in the marketplace is there are people who are blaming and shaming other people for their situation. Mm. And if we can get self-focused first, if they, I mean, just imagine if the whole entire world just focused on themselves, meaning how can I get better? How can I contribute the best? Mm. How can I show up in a producing value way today? Ah. Oh, I mean, wouldn't the world just be so much better? So that's my definition is just focusing on yourself first so that you can then go out and help others. Would you agree that for a lot of people that one of the ways that can be accomplished is with a a consistent morning ritual (laughs) where you're doing some of those things where you take time to focus on you and and the self-care kind of things? Well, for me, if I'm self-focused and just sharing what works for me, I absolutely will have a level 10 day if I follow my morning routine. And I know that if I don't follow my morning routine, the day is at risk. So we just had a little accident in our family this week. My oldest son got in a motorcycle accident. Mm. So my whole routine, and he's fine. He's got some 
road rash and some bruised ego, but he's he's good. I can sense the compassionate people out there going, oh no, how's, how's this going? <laughs> but he, he's going to be fine. But that next day, I didn't follow my morning routine. I was focused on being a nurse and helping him. And sure. by 3.30 in the afternoon, I was I was fuzzy. I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. And, you know, gratefully, I got back on it the next day. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Those morning routines, mm. they they just help us to take that, even if it's five or 10 minutes for your morning routine, start with ourselves first, and then move on to serving the rest of the world. Yeah. And I think it's important too. Uh, a lot of folks think about this concept and just say to themselves, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to start a morning routine. But I think it's important to actually write down what you plan to do, or at least uh, like I do now, a smorgasbord of things that I could do. And depending on what I feel my needs are for that day or what my time allows, I choose and pick, pick and choose from those, those 12 or 13 things. But I think it's important to write them down and actually know what you want them to be rather than just saying, I'm going to start a morning routine, just getting up and going, okay, what am I going to do now? Right. And, and you and I know, I mean, there is science behind writing things down. If you write mm-hmm. it down, it's 50% more likely to happen. I think that that's why to-do lists work. But I really appreciate your approach. 12 or 13 options. It's very creative, yet still disciplined. I mm-hmm. love that. I might steal it. <laughs> I have to admit, I used to force myself or think that I had to do all of those things and would, mm-hmm. in a very regimented way, map them all out from 5 a.m. to 8.30. The reality was is most mornings they weren't all happening because, you know, some days I got up at five, some days I didn't, some days things took longer than others. And and I realized that I needed to give myself a little bit of freedom in that structure, a little bit more freedom than I was giving myself. Once I did that, it really started clicking. Jill has had an interesting employer-employee perspective over the years. We're witnessing firsthand the types of people companies tend to lay off and the types of people companies tend to, to keep. How did these experiences, Jill, inform your, your present day work? You're right. And I, as I was writing this book, it revealed itself to me that I had mm. had this unique experience in both working with employees as a boss and being an employee, but now also coaching leaders around how to get the best out of their people and managing that human energy. But just the other day, I used this. So right now I coach leadership teams. I don't work with employees, even though this book is written to the employee. Mm. So if you're an employee, you'll love this book. But it was really written for the boss to have Mm. a really great tool to help people know what the path is and discover the path to earning more. But just the other day, I used this. uh, One of my teams, they were reflecting, as we always do at the beginning of sessions, on what was working really well. And somebody said, oh, um, Pedro is working so well. Pedro is just, um, he's producing all of these results, and he's just so positive and giving of energy. And I went and wrote Pedro on the issues list. Mm. And and the team was like, no, Pedro's not an issue. He he's awesome. And I said, I get that, but I have, you know, I have this unique experience. Are we taking good care of Pedro? What is Pedro's next step? Are we mm. talking about that? Are we using the best of his time and talents in the position where he is? This is not something that's wrong. It's an opportunity. Mm. So that that's one way that I consistently use that that mix of experience with my current clients. I love that that manifested itself as you were writing and, and informed some of that. That's really cool. Yeah. 
Talk about, if you would, some of the myths you address in the book that you say we need to stop <laughs> believing right now. <laughs> That's right. And you know, the first one is a tricky one, but I, I hit it right at the, in the beginning of the book. It's probably in the first 10 pages even mm. when employees think, okay, I want to earn more money. There's this, what maybe we would call it even head trash around mm. what it is to really get to earn more money. And one of them is this myth. And I've had many people argue with me about it, which is great, right? Is that money can't buy happiness. Mm. We know that and we talk about that and it's, you know, happiness is intrinsic, but I'm just going to upgrade this thought if you really think that money can't buy happiness. And it's really the concept that money is a tool to support happiness. Mm. So there's people out there who will self-sabotage, you know, money's not my most important thing, or I'm, I'm just going to go serve the world and, and I don't mm. need to earn more money. But really, when you earn more money, you have more resources, even if it's more resources to give or mm. help other people or enjoy another experience or help your children enjoy another experience. So I just challenge people to think about money as a tool. Money is a tool that can support your happiness. So that's one of them. The next one that I just want to touch on a little bit is sometimes employees think that the boss is in charge of their earning potential. Mm. And this is because we have really great it may be HR departments or finance departments that that will produce these ranges. So if I am working on a manufacturing line, they say, hey, Jill, you know, the most you could ever earn is $17 an hour. That's the cap. Mm. In reality, Jeff, what I see happening in companies that I coach is when we find somebody that is a rock star, that is a producer, that is pleasant to be around and has growth potential, we create jobs for those people. We find a way. We find a way as bosses. So I just want everybody out there listening, if you think you have a cap in your current position or or even a new position that you want, it says on that job description, you must have a bachelor's degree and you don't have one. I just want you to throw that out the window. You are in charge of your own earning ability. And I found if people will do that, let that myth go. Mm. All of the tools that they'll learn in the book will work easier for them. If they hold on to those myths, the tools are going to be, they're just difficult. They'll work, but they're just a little more difficult. You're reminding me of all my years in, in the corporate world <laughs> and being told by HR, you know, what my range is and what my cap is. Yeah, I, I love that. Love that thinking. What then, Jill, is the big idea that we need to start believing? Yeah, well, I've already touched on it a little bit or at least hinted at it. But it's really that in order to earn more money, you must produce more measurable value. So you must produce more, and especially in an entrepreneurial company. So those are the companies that I coach. We don't have access to lots of capital or lots of cash reserves. And in order for us to pay employees more, they need to show us, the bosses, 
that they are producing more value. So either, you know, in very simple terms, either you're increasing revenue or you're decreasing costs. And in the book, it goes into a whole bunch of other things that you can do to produce value, but it really boils down to those two things. And of course, if we increase revenue or decrease costs, that increases the profitability of the company, which does not mean just more money in the owner's pocket. Those profits, and I kind of go into this in the book, they fuel more growth for the company, which really means more growth for you. You mentioned producing value. It's interesting that most people, uh, I think you would agree, put their bosses on the defensive when asking for more money. And as a leader, I think I've heard all the tactics that, that you outlined in the book. What are some examples of how not to go about asking for a raise? Well, you know, one of the first steps is to really just think about when you are going to ask for a raise. There have been some very interesting times in my life where somebody has come in to ask me for a raise and I'm thinking, this is not the time to talk about this. And in hindsight, I would have loved to have a conversation, but either it's at the end of the month when I'm looking at the numbers or it was on a very hectic day. So it's just It's just so funny to think about that that would happen at the wrong time. But just use some emotional intelligence. Think about when is the right time. But I've also just had the chance about a year ago to help my son through this. So my 18-year-old son, Tyler, he was working at a pizza shop. And he said, you know what? I think I deserve more money. So it, it was fun, Jeff, for me to say, you know, Tyler, I literally wrote the book on that. (laughs) (laughs) and he um in his mind he thought uh you know what i really want to do i just want to i'm just going to go ahead and ask him for it Mm. and i said well why don't you just go ahead and try to use the book but you know now he doesn't like to listen to his mother all the time (laughs) so one of the things he said which is opposite of what the book says is he said hey i've been here for a year Mm. and i and i haven't got a raise yet And in your boss's mind, when you go with this one, it sounds like it's reasonable. Like I've been here for a while. I should be more valuable to you. But the boss doesn't really care how long you've been there. They care what you really are producing. Mm. Another funny one, Jeff, that I've that I've heard myself and that I've heard from other bosses is, you know, you can fill in the blank, but it's I need a raise because I have to. Mm. And then it's all about you. So yes, let's get selfish in the beginning, but get selfish and self-focused, get your habits right. But then when you're asking for a raise, it's got to be all about your boss. So my favorite one was, um, uh, hey, boss, I need a raise because I have to go get my tattoo finished. (laughs) Okay, that's not my that's not my problem. Not my problem. Or, you know, hey, boss, I need a raise because lunch downstairs is really expensive. And when you use things like this, I love that you're chuckling. I think this is the most funny part of the book. But when you use things like this as an employee, these mindsets in your boss, your boss is just saying in their mind, whatever words they choose to use, who who have I just employed? Mm. They, they just have this negative mindset of you sometimes just as a person. Mm. How are you even thinking that way? And that's what we don't want to do. We want to stay on the same page with our boss as to what it means to produce more value and how you can earn more. Mm. So I, there's a few other funny ones too. But well, I've got a funny one for you. I once had an employee ask for a raise because they had just purchased a new car. <laughs> oh, I've got these payments to make now, so I, mm-hmm. I need you to give me more money. Well, 
Maybe you should have thought of that before you bought the car. Anyway. I'm going to put that in the next version of the book. That's great. I've already committed to more payments and you, boss, are not paying me for it. That's right. Well, uh, we've talked a lot about the first section of Jill's book so far, Your Mindset. And section two really gets into some of what she was just hinting at. And that's what the boss is thinking. And, and Jill should know. Again, she's got a lot of experience in this area. Jill, even though we may think otherwise, our boss, she really does want to promote us, doesn't she? Absolutely. And if you if you think this sounds funny, well, then I will say that it might not feel that way on the surface mm. or at first glance because your bosses are human too. And yes, I do know that there are some bosses out there that might on the surface feel like they, they're trying to protect their job or they're trying to hold things close to the vest. Mm. But if I were to really talk to your boss and talk to them about their growth plan and how they're going to hit the numbers in their department or in their company, their only choice is to what we call in the entrepreneurial operating system, delegate and elevate. So that means they need to teach you, they need to delegate things to you so they can elevate themselves. And as they delegate things to you, you are also elevated. And that's just a quick way, you know, kind of a mindset to think about you are promoted or they are asking you to produce more value. So these bosses, and I'll just give you you know, a very quick example. I meet with my clients and it's leadership teams of entrepreneurial companies once a quarter. And I don't think there is a session that goes by. And I have about 120 sessions a year with teams like this, where we're not asking ourselves, what is the next step of growth? Mm. And the very first thing we ask is, do we have the people, the humans to fuel this growth. And when the answer is no, then we've got to go out and hire people, which is great. We love to hire people. That's awesome. But I love it when the answer is yes, we have Pedro, right? We have Pedro. Maybe Pedro's ready for a promotion. This is their um, their shortest line from point A to point B is to promote you because you already know the culture, you know the systems, you know the processes, you know the people, you know the customers. So can we promote you? Oh, that's so much easier than hiring from the outside. So yes, I hope you believe me now. Mm -hmm. Your boss really does want to promote you. Mm. Well, what would be then some of the ways that an employee can make their boss's life easier? I mean, some obvious things come to mind, but what are some of the things that you write about? You know, Jeff, it's the obvious things that are actually most valuable. Mm. And I remember sharing these with my three sons as they moved into the world of work. Mm. And my oldest son, the one that just got in the motorcycle accident, mm. he has such a high work ethic. And, it, you know, when we talk about work ethic, sometimes nobody really knows exactly what that looks like. Mm. So the easy things you can do to make your boss's life easier really go into that category. And they're silly, but they're so important. Um, how about coming to work early, five minutes early even, just to get your head straight. Don't even need to clock in early if that's your policy. But get there early and ready to work. This is also a silly thing, but complete your work on time. 
if your boss can be more of a leader to you, uh, somebody who can inspire you and you know get you moving in new directions and help you see the clear vision of the company, that's what they really want to do. They don't want to have to follow up with you and say, "Do you have that report done yet?" or "Is this, you know, has this has this part been produced yet?" So, you know, show up early, complete your work, and then here's just another one is offer to help. Don't wait to be asked. Mm. If you see somebody new coming on to the job, just say to your boss, would you like me to spend an, a, an extra half an hour with this person to just show them the ropes? Mm. I mean, little, little things that you can do just make your boss's life so much easier. And you think they're little, but bosses, uh, just like our example with Pedro, bosses recognize that because it's not happening all the time. They feel like they need to be more of a manager, mm. staying on top of people and really kind of stressfully holding people accountable. If you can relieve them of those little things, your your boss is going to look at you in a really, a really great light. Mm. Have you by chance ever seen the film Office Space? Yes, <laughs> just, of course. Just, just curious. I just... Putting that out there. I was just thinking of that. Yes, report. Yes, yes. I'm going to need you to work on Sunday. <laughs> Did you get the memo about the memo? <laughs> that place is full of managers and they're just, yeah. they're just miserable. That's what made me think of that. You know, there, there's not leadership, it's management. And, and bosses don't ultimately want to do that. They want to lead, they don't want to manage, like you they said. They really do. Yeah. They really do. That's the fun part. <laughs> well, uh, Jill also says that uh, bosses, whether consciously or unconsciously, tend to put us as employees into into one of four uh, buckets, I guess. So Jill, unpack those yeah. uh, for us, if you would. Sure. You know, I love to work with mental models. And this is this is a mental model. And it's really based off of the Jack Welch model called the values performance matrix, but I've made it a little more fun, but the model really has two ingredients. And when we mix and match those ingredients, we really get four types of people. So the first ingredient is to the degree that you perform well and just kind of think of, you know, you hit your numbers, you get things done on time, you come to work on time, all of those things. So you perform well, and that's great. And the second ingredient, just think of it as you're pleasant to work with. So, you know, you, you smile and you have some energy. And in, in the entrepreneurial operating system, we call them core values. Mm. You match the core values of the company or the behaviors that we all like to see in the company. So those are the two ingredients. And when we mix and match those ingredients, we get those four types of people. Mm. So if you are a high performer, and you're highly pleasant to work with, so you match the core values at a high level, you're a star. And this is this is very similar to the example that the team gave of Pedro. Mm. He had become a star. He gets stuff done. He's pleasant to work with. And bosses all want all of our people to be stars. In the entrepreneurial operating system, we call it the right people in the right seat. We just do. That's what we're working for. Unfortunately, those stars, sometimes they're hard to hire mm. and they need work to get them to that star category. But entrepreneurial companies will also hire the second category. And those are puppies <laughs> and puppies live those core values. You can just kind of see, you know, the, the, the image of a puppy. They're eager to please. They're excited to work, but they just don't perform as well, probably because they don't have the experience and the training. But it's our job as bosses to really move them into that star category where they're high performers. And that's the really good news. 
we love to hire stars and puppies and have stars and puppies on our team. That's a, you know, you're always growing. But more of the bad news is, is that you also have people working in the company and hopefully you're not one of these that I'm going to describe next, but I call them a rat and it's because they hide in the corners. And these are the people who are just pleasant enough to work with to not get fired. You probably <laughs> have some coworkers like that and they perform just well enough not to get fired. So it's just unpredictable. And, you know, when, when I'm working with bosses, I, you know, I teach them play some pressure on people in this category. And it could be heads up that you just haven't been a good boss to these people mm. and you've mislabeled them. So give them some pressure, some projects to really rise to the challenge and make sure they know they're not behaving in a way that would have them in that puppy or star category. And 80% of the time, Jeff, we find that people like that can really rise to the occasion and move into another space. So, you know, that it's not such bad news, but it's, you know, there's potential there for sure. Mm. We, we don't like to write anybody off. Mm. And then finally, the fourth type of a person is kind of scary. And I, and I chose a word for it that is kind of a scary word. And it's a terrorist. Mm. And these are the people, and I'm just, you know, slowing things down. These are the people, if you are a high performer in your company, but you don't you don't have many friends in this company or you engage in lots of backstabbing or gossip or working around the processes or refusal to follow the rules you might be in this category and it is really hard for bosses to pay those rats and terrorists more money so you might have to do a a look in the mirror there and increase your pleasantness mm. you're willing to work with others or even sometimes your emotional intelligence but bosses will put you in those categories. And of course, you know, the obvious answer is to the degree you can get in that star category, be a high performer and work well with others, uh, matching the core values of the company. That's your best chance to get paid more. And, and bosses, can't they, Jill, sometimes enable those uh, terrorists, if, as you yes. label them? They might otherwise be stars, but they're, they're doing the backstabbing and, and cutting corners and that sort of thing. But it's overlooked by the boss sometimes yeah. because they're producing so highly. Oh, absolutely, Jeff. And these are these are moments that I have when I'm coaching leadership teams where their jaw drops and they will say uh, uh, they will say, "Oh my goodness, I've been harboring a terrorist." Mm. And and they realize that this is going to hold the company back mm. because as as the bosses are growing their puppies and their stars, if a terrorist is also working with those puppies and stars, that that is just that's holding people back as coaches or, or as uh, leaders are trying to build culture on one end. That terrorist is chipping away at it at the other end. And sometimes bosses are like, How, what's going on? What's wrong here? And this is a big aha moment. And if you're if you're thinking, well, you know, Jill, you're telling us a whole bunch of cool things to do as employees that we need to change. Uh, just rest assured, I'm working with your bosses on the <laughs> other end because they need to change some behavior as well. We're, we're both working on both sides to, you know, eventually let's all get on the same page. Well, when I was reading this section, I was first taken aback by your word choice there uh, mm -hmm. because, of, because of the strong nature of it. But as I've thought through this process, I think it's, 
a good choice because it really, as you intimated a moment ago, really gets our attention and makes us really think about uh, as bosses on the boss's side, are we harboring these people? Are we enabling this this kind of individual? Well, thank you. And it's really to help that boss have that aha moment of, Mm. oh, this high performer is holding me hostage. Mm -hmm. I'm not making choices or leading or managing the way I need to because I'm afraid they might leave. They're, you know, they, they've got a bomb strapped to their chest saying, I double dog dare you to fire me. You <laughs> right. And it's yeah, some good aha moments there. And of course we never, well, this is the way I coach is we if, rarely do we just go out and fire somebody because we think they're mm. in these categories. It, the bosses really do have responsibility to lead and coach mm. and speak the truth and, and see if we can um, get everybody aligned back in that star category. I saw something on LinkedIn yesterday that I think is relevant to our conversation. You've you've used the word energy a couple of times uh, here today, and uh, on on a door going into uh, an office space or workspace at Indiana University Health is this sign: "Please take responsibility for the energy you bring into this space. Your words matter. Your behaviors matter. Our patients and our teams matter. Take a slow, deep breath and make sure your energy is in check." before entering. And as I read that, I thought that that's a sign that needs to be on every office in the country. I (laughs) I love that. It's being intentional Mm. with what I just described as, you know, matching the core values, you know, this Indiana University, I saw that also, Jeff, so we might subscribe to the same things. (laughs) And it just gave me chills to to think, yes, people and bosses and companies, you know, are making professional signs and really saying to the whole, anyone who enters, this is a real thing. And maybe it's only been the last 20 years that we've started to scratch the surface of core values and your behavior and the energy you bring into the company really matters. One one of the sections in the book that I talk about is just checking in. What kind of energy are you bringing? Mm. Because I just I absolutely believe that if you are constantly complaining or backbiting or doubting, uh, you know that that negative energy. Mm. Even if you're a producer, people don't look at you as somebody who can grow and produce more. And it, you know it's a human thing. It might even be judgment, but that's just what it is. <laughs> and you make a, an important distinction there that I, that I think is uh, worth pointing out. This was not a handwritten sign on the door. No. This was a professionally made sign that gets your attention yes. uh, right away when you when you walk in. They had to consciously think and solve an issue around what what can we do to make sure the energy in here is positive and, and healthy. And, and I just, I love the way they solved it. I think mm. that's really cool. Yeah. Well, I've got a couple of questions, uh, not directly related to your book that I want to ask in the time we have remaining, Jill. Before I do that, anything else you want to make sure we know about the book or your other books for that matter? You know, the, the books are on Amazon. Um, they're very, they're a quick read. They're on Audible also. Uh, I like to suggest to bosses to buy these in advance. So the way to really use this, if you're a boss, is you just buy a couple copies of the earning advantage. And then when somebody does ask for a raise, you just very calmly and positively with that positive energy, just say something like, wow, this is a big day for you. You're ready to grow. 
okay, here's this book, go read the book and come talk to me in two weeks. Mm. And throughout the book, you know, this employee who's asked for a raise is really going to be able to walk through some tools to get their mindset right. Mm. They're going to be asking you really cool questions they've never asked you before about the company and how they can produce value. And then really it's more of an intentional conversation versus you, the boss, being like, caught off guard and you going into a negative space. So mm. that, that's a fun little process to mm. use. Anything that, that encourages employees and, and bosses to read, I'm all about it. So <laughs> that's <yeah>. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you mentioned, uh, speaking of which, you mentioned uh, at the top of the show, your love for reading. Give us a bit of insight into your history uh, with reading. I'd be curious to know if that's a habit you would attribute to some of your success. Absolutely. Um, mm. Reading. So I, you know, the podcast is read to lead and I'm all for that. What I feel like is I accidentally found myself in leadership. Mm. My reading helps me think. So that's what it is. It is a, uh, it is a thinking tool for me. And I've been a reader since I was a little girl. I remember going to the mall with my mom and a reward that I would get and it was, you know, it was something on a regular interval. Maybe it was, you know, every other week or something. We would go to the mall and we'd go straight to the bookstore. Mm-hmm. We'd go straight to the bookstore and there was a series called Sweet Valley High, right? Maybe maybe some some of you would remember that, that if, if you were in my decade here, I'm 47 now. And I would buy a new book every other week, every month. I can't mm-hmm. remember the interval. But then I would go home and I'd have it read in two hours. Mm-hmm. And I remember my mom, uh, she was always so supportive of reading. She read to me aloud until I was maybe 12, 14, because <laughs> we just enjoyed it. But I remember her thinking, now you're going to have to wait another two weeks to go read. You know, just slow down. Can't you slow down in reading? But it's just, it's just been a passion of mine for for my entire life when i was in the thick of raising babies i got away from reading mm-hmm. and uh, i correlate that to a little bit of baby blues a little bit of depression because when i picked up a novel again you know they have a way of just kind of taking you away mm-hmm. from what might be you know day after day doldrums so yeah. really important part of my life well, I love what our mutual friend Kerry uh, said of when I asked him ab- about this. And, and this quote is actually in my book, Read to Lead. He said something along the lines of, uh, if, if you feel you don't need to read or, or, or don't want to read, it's like saying, I don't need to think, <laughs> to yeah. your point. You know, yes. uh, I just thought that was really powerful. That's a wonderful way to put it. And then, you know, we, we started the podcast talking a little bit about morning routine mm. and variety. So now I have trained my brain that reading a physical book and listening to an audible, um, it didn't always work this way for me, but I get the same benefit. Mm. And what happens to me, and I don't, I, I have to think this can't just be me, but invariably I will be reading or listening to something. And then that day I use it. <laughs> it, it sparks a thought. A client has an issue and I'll get to say, actually, I was just reading, you know, George Leonard's mastery this morning. And he said, we hit plateaus and the plateaus is where we really learn. And, and so it makes me a better leader, absolutely a better leader and a better coach. I don't know. Does that happen to you too, Jeff? I've got to not be the it, only one. It does. In fact, not only in that way, but in a coaching call yesterday, someone shared a personal story. And then I was at a men's group last night where someone was dealing with an issue. And that personal story 
directly related to their issue. And I was able to share that story and help them see their issue in a new light. Mm. So I find that happens not just in my reading, but but in other ways. Absolutely. And I'm I'm so grateful that maybe it's a way that my brain works and your brain works (laughs) that I'm able to pull those little pieces of data. Even Mm. if I've read a book five or six years ago, I can still remember things and, uh, Mm. you know, just help people. I'm curious to know, have you ever tried combining reading a physical book while listening to that author read the book to you as you follow along? Whoa. No, I have not. <laughs> well, that, that's a, uh, not to promote my book in the process of talking about yours, but that that's one of the tips in my book. That's something that I have found works incredibly well for me. And the really cool part about it, too, is if you want to get through books more quickly, you know, we tend to read to ourselves aloud in our heads because that's kind of how we were taught to read, to, to sound it out and to read aloud. And as kids right. and we go into adult years and I read books and if I'm not careful, I, I, I read every single word out loud. It's called sub vocalization, right? And so oh. when I when I put that audio book on, you know, two times speed or one and a half times speed, because we can hear and understand much faster than we can talk and sound out words and then follow along in the book. I can get through books much faster. And I have those two sort of learning modes going on at the same time. I'm reading it. I'm looking at it, but I'm also hearing it simultaneously. Jeff, you just blew my ever-loving mind. I am so excited to try that. And I also, I also am just listening to you say this. Sometimes I will, because I, I love science, mm. and sometimes I will pick up a book or an audiobook that's just very technical, mm. that just has lots of details in it, and I'm not so much a detailed person. And it's uh, like I, I'll start to get tired because my brain is thinking so hard. Yeah. Or or I, I, do, I daze away if it's an inaudible. Mm. But I think if I combine those two, maybe I'll be able to really focus longer, you know, get it in my brain a little bit more solid without having to go back and reread. Mm. I'm going to try that. Well, one extra tip I'll share related to that. I tend to um, want to take notes as I read, but I've kind of forced myself to just make simple marks like a star for something I want to remember, a question mark for Mm. something I don't understand or maybe don't agree with potentially, Mm. uh, and a a cue for a quote that I want to, and just as I go, just make those little marks. And then when I get to the end of a chapter, then really dig into it and, and take some some written notes. And I find that when I do this method of combining the audiobook with the physical book and I turn up the speed, that's all I have time to do is just that's make those true. little marks, you know. <laughs> and then when I, once I'm done with the chapter, I can go back and and really write those things out, you know, more fully and, and figure out what it is I really want to put into practice and dig into a little more deeply. Oh, that is awesome. Well, I hope this doesn't sound geeky and I doubt it will sound geeky to you. And you know what, actually, in hindsight, I don't mind being a geek. I actually think it's pretty cool. <laughs> but I have I have some time off coming up. Mm. And now I'm thinking I am so excited to try this new method. So I'm going to get out one of my technical books and I'm going to buy it on Audible and the physical book and I'm going to put those together and I'm going to try that. Um, I'm super excited (laughs) to try it. That's what I'm going to do with my free time. Well, let me know how that that works. I'd love to hear your feedback on that. I sure will. Well, can you recommend a book or two, maybe uh, one or two over the years that's had a huge impact on you? It might be one you recommend to some of your leadership teams, what have you. Sure. Um, this is a this is a personal book, so um, it might not apply to everybody. Mm. But I um, there's a there's a book that I constantly reread, and I'm a coach at its basic level. I'm a coach. I help I help people 
become better, right? Mm -hmm. Help people be their best. And there's a book that I love called The Prosperous Coach. Mm. It's by Steve Chandler. It's uh, coaches in my circle, know it, love it, slightly shy of worshiping it. Uh, (laughs) But I try to listen and read that at least once a year. There's Mm -hmm. also a co-author that that's Rich Litvin. And the book is really great to listen to because they do alternate chapters and they just have very interesting voices. Mm -hmm. But I think why this is so important to me is number one, it took something that could be very serious, which is coaching. And it kind of gave it some lightheartedness. And I'm just a lighthearted person. And what I find when I coach other coaches, because I also have a whole life of of mine where I coach other coaches who do what I do, um, this book also just unlocks coaches to be their best. So there's just a lot of power in it. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not very long. It's maybe only 150 pages. But that one I go back to often. The Prosperous Coach. I've not heard of that book, but uh, your description of it intrigues me. I'm going to pick that up and order that as soon as we as soon as we finish here. Oh yes, I think you'll love it. I'll, I want to send it to you. Let me send it to oh, you. No. <laughs> I love to. I, I'm a gift giver. I love to do gifts. So please let me send that to you. Well, I, I I won't stop you from doing that. If you insist, I'll let you do that. <laughs> I do. I, <laughs> I, I won't rob you of the joy of gifting me that book. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You get it. You get it. Well, what would you say, Jill, as you look ahead to the rest of this year? What's what's ahead for you and your team that you're excited about and able to share and want to want to want to let us know? Sure. My team and I were working on a new book. So that's exciting. Excellent. We we republished the first two books. So that's the Earning Advantage and the Courage Advantage. And then we published a brand new book last summer during the height of COVID, which mm-hmm. is really fun. Actually, it wasn't the summer. It ended up being in October. But I really have a personal goal of producing or publishing a book every year. Wow. And just to be really open and honest, I am behind which is fine, I, right? As we get older, we get more flexible. So the goal is still a book a year, but we're um, the, the publishing date will not be 2021. Mm. We're publishing a new one in February of 2022. And it's also part of the Advantage series. It's called the Activator Advantage. Mm. So uh, I took a little twist again. I, I'm, I'm giving up, this is air quotes, I'm giving up on motivating people all I can do is activate people because mm. I can't figure out motivation. Motivation has got to come from the inside. You got to take care of that. The subtitle is something like 34 ways to really light a fire under you and your team's productivity. Mm. So I have lots of fun tips and tricks that if you can bring your motivation, I can get you and your team activated. So we're Love really it. excited about that one. Love it. Can't wait. And I'd love to have you back on the show when that comes well, out to talk you. about it, if, if you don't fun. mind. I'm happy to. Well, the book we've talked about again today from that Advantage series is called The Earning Advantage, Eight Tools You Need to Get Paid the Money That You Want. Her name is Jill Young. I encourage you to check her out. We've got appropriate links in the show notes to do just that. Jill, thank you so much for being a part of the Read to Lead podcast. Excited to have had you here. And thank you again to Carrie Oberbrook. Yes. And Jeff, thank you. This was a lot of fun. And I hope we produced a lot of value for no pun intended for your audience. Thanks again for having me. To dig more deeply into my conversation with Jill, to follow her online and to check out those 
books she recommended. You can find all that at the show notes page for this episode. That's at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 387 for episode 387. My new book is available now where you buy your favorite books for one whole week now. It's been a fun first week. You can check it out at readtoleadbook.com to find out more. You can even kick the tires and download the introduction and first chapter for free. If you like, I encourage you to pick up a copy, maybe pick up a copy for your whole team. We've been getting some fantastic feedback on the book. Of course, it's been endorsed by a who's who of authors, people like Dan Miller, Seth Godin, Stephen M. R. Covey, and more. Find out more at readtoleadbook.com. And don't forget your free trial from the folks at Readwise, readwise.io slash readtolead to bring all your reading highlights under one roof. You'll love it. 60-day free trial, readwise.io slash read to lead. Next time on the show, we'll get a visit from my friend John Meese as we discuss his new book, Survive and Thrive. That's next week on the Read to Lead podcast. Well, that does it for this week. Look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, remember, as always, leaders read and readers lead. Read to lead.